All right, I think this is working. Well, welcome in, everybody. Welcome back to Polar FC. We're back at it again. Recording a little bit late this week. It's It's been a busy week for us. We're also uh, missing our main man, our producer here, Chris. So, fingers crossed, this is actually recording when I hit record and we don't, uh, uh, we don't mess anything up. Um, but we're back at it again. I'm here with KR. I'm here with Vandy. We're going to have a, a full show for you. We got some stories coming up. Going to go over some games, do our, our video of the week. Uh, but we'll start off with a little a little social media plug. I figured I figured Chris would probably appreciate it. Uh, you can follow us at F- Polar FC Pod on Twitter. Um, that's Polar FC Pod. So yeah, check us out. Follow us. Slide in our DMs. Give us some recommendations about things to talk about. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to just like pick the stories for every week. I- I'd really like it if. Uh, you guys take some of that uh, load off my shoulders, uh, and we'll and we we'll, of course want to keep it interesting, and uh, you know talk about the things that you guys want to hear. So feel free to reach out to us, hit us up on Twitter, um, and with that we'll get into our first story here. Um, according to um, reading off the uh, of Daily Mail, uh, the Champions League final could have as many as 37,500 fans uh, allowed in Istanbul. I know that's going to be a big change from what we've seen so far in the Champions League qualifying games. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure most, uh, you know, even the, the domestic leagues don't have supporters uh, in fan in, in the stands yet, but, they're working to get there. What are you guys' thoughts? Are you excited to see some fans, or are we thinking, well, maybe this will be uh, a kind of an odd change where you know we've had almost all of the qualifiers without them? Wow, that many people coming out to see Chelsea—that's crazy. <laughs> but no, <laughs> I think I think uh, where the vaccines are going um, and the trend that's uh, happening in, in Europe—if you can have uh, a good head count on the people that are going and who's going, the age groups, the demographic, then maybe uh, the, the, it wouldn't be too much of a problem. Like if they do something where healthcare workers are prioritized or um, certain fields are able to go uh, over um, others, then I wouldn't mind it. Like similar to what happened with the Super Bowl. Um, I know it wasn't 37,000 people, but um, <clears throat> they prioritized getting healthcare workers in. And I think it would be a nice gesture, you know, to bring it back full circle, like you did all this hard work. Uh, here's your, here's our way to say thank you. So if they can do something like that, then I'm all for it. Yeah, that's a good idea. And I think that those, those folks would especially have a higher likelihood of being vaccinated. Um, and, and hopefully that will uh, obviously keep COVID exposure down. KR, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, the more fans at any sporting events, I feel like that changes the atmosphere for sure for us, you know, watching at home. Um, and like Vandy mentioned, those, I think it's the right step in the direction um, in terms of it shows that vaccine distribution is working and it's kind of playing a big role in, um, you know, allowing sports to kind of go back to the way things were before. I, I know I'm hoping for that. I'm sure you guys are as well, especially with um, other events, such as like the NCAA tournament coming up and, you know, seeing that they're limited at capacity now, 
you know, all of a sudden, one of the greatest soccer spectacles in the world is allowing 37,000 fans there. Um, that's definitely, you know, a good thing. And hopefully that does spread to the domestic um, leagues that are, you know, allowing no or very limited fans right now. So um, step in the right direction. And I think that's a, it's a great venue for people to kind of uh, finally go back to. I think that sets the precedent in saying that, yes, tides are turning and, and we're ready for things to go back to the normal. I mean, just to feed off that KR, I like your point on the fact that um, maybe it can come back to uh, the domestic um, sports because I think that if they can handle it well and if the, the, the I guess, the backlog of people that do come and then after the cases don't rise for the people that did go and it didn't spread and everything went okay, I think that will be a good example and a good foot forward for other sports to say, okay, hey, maybe we can ramp up uh, the amount of people that we allow in our outdoor sporting event. Look what they did in the Champions League, you know, and still do it under a safe and and uh, processed manner. So I really would like that. And I, like I was mentioning in the, in the last um, podcast that I came on, I was saying that I feel like soccer is one of those things where the dynamic changes completely when you uh, have people and have people watching the game and you don't have people watching the game. So I would really love for that to actually be something that happens. And I hope that it can be an example for other sports too. Yeah, Vandy, I, I agree. I, 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 you brought up the point, like hopefully that this uh, going in person, bringing fans will kind of transition uh, towards other leagues. And I, I think there's, there's always pressure when you're the first, when you look to be kind of the role model, the leader here. So, of course, uh, all we're all hoping that this goes well and that things get uh, back closer to normal, normal as soon as possible. But I also think you brought up a great point of just the importance of having fans, the importance of the atmosphere for the game, for the clubs, for the players, just that, that level of enjoyment, that entertainment value um for everyone i think that's added by having that atmosphere and you know you think of soccer and you think of some of these you know really die hard amazing fan bases that consistently pack the stadium and and that's just a really fun aspect of uh i'd say soccer culture all across the world so uh, i totally agree that i'm sure the the players are missing having that opportunity to play in front of fans. I feel like this is also going to have a pretty big impact on the Euros coming up. Um, I know it's going to be hosted around an array of cities. So, um, and the UEFA president has also kind of already confirmed that there will be fans. But now seeing that there's going to be 37,000 fans, it's going to be interesting to see how many um, you know supporters would be allowed in those big Euro matches as well whether they'll, you know, kind of go back to 75% to 80% capacity. Um, and I feel like that also, like you mentioned, is going to impact the players as well, because you're going to have now going from empty stadium or, or fake noise to almost fully packed stadiums. And that's obviously going to change, you know, the way the game's been played for the last year. going to be new to us. Obviously, we're going to like it. It's going to be interesting to see how the players kind of adapt it as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see maybe some some – statistical analysis some some fun stuff getting into like all right are are the away teams are they having a better chance now because there's no you know crazy home fans at the games um i'm definitely looking forward to see that i know financially 
uh, it definitely makes a big difference uh, missing that revenue, missing that interaction with their fans. But uh, definitely want to check out some of the stats there to see uh, if there actually makes a difference in, in winning games. They're going to do a uh, correlation study between decibel levels and goals scored for home teams. It's going to be very yeah. interesting, I think. Amount that's of chance it. per game. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be – I, I think that would be a pretty cool, like, individual project to dive into. But it'll see how bored I get during the summer. But <laughs> we'll, Yeah, I was we'll, going to say, if we, if we have any statisticians listening, we would, we would highly appreciate your analysis. Yeah, we need, we need a numbers guy. That's what we need. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on here before we move into our next topic? All right. Well, uh, the next topic, and this was this was something that caught my eye this week. Um, going over to Paris Saint Germain. Uh, Germain is that how you pronounce it? Probably not. I, I think I'll probably get yelled at for that by somebody on. on Twitter. Maybe we'll just say PSG. So PSG. Um, Angel Di Maria, I think I got that one right. He was subbed off during the match on Sunday um, because his family had been held hostage during a robbery. Um, their captain, Marquinhos, also had his house targeted. I'm very happy to say that uh, from the reports that I've read, it seems like both families are safe, um, having uh, not having to bear any substantial injuries from this uh event i mean it's it's crazy to hear it's even crazier to think about like how how would an organization kind of deal with this like all right should we sub them off should we should we like not say anything should we like how how would they even deal with that so i was just i was reading kind of that headline i was like wow like this this is crazy I'm, i'm very thankful to hear that you know the families are all right but i mean that's just like Imagine being the manager of a team. You're like, sorry, like, you know, one of your best players, he's got to come out of the game. Like his family is getting kidnapped. Like it's mind boggling. Yeah. It's crazy to me that, you know, not only did the players kind of break into their house, but you mentioned that they held their families hostage too. So it wasn't even only whoever was, you know, whoever broke in, I'm, Guess I'm guessing they'll probably charge with criminal, um, you know, charges. But whoever it was, they weren't only targeting the player, but they were trying to, I guess, send a message in one way or another. But it's like you mentioned, I don't even know how I would react to it. Like, imagine being the coach and kind of hearing that from somebody else. You're like, hey, listen, Di Maria's family's like in, in trouble. And, you know, the guys on the pitch, obviously you don't want to. There's two ways, in my opinion, to go about it. It's either you kind of let him do his job and tell him, but I feel like he did the right thing, the right ethical thing, um, because it's his family. You got to let him know right away, um, you know, make sure everything's okay. And um, I also saw online that there was another French newspaper that made a little, um, I guess, front page like picture of people breaking into Di Maria and Martinez's uh, houses. So that newspaper is also very heavily criticized by, um, you know, PSG and other uh, critics in um, in France and, and kind of just I think that's going a little step too far. Like you're, you're the guy's already been going through a lot. Right. Like no need to kind of 
publicize it and, and make sure everyone knows about it, even if they care or not. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a, a kind of a dangerous situation here. Obviously, you want to report the facts and try to make things as accurate as possible. Um, you know, certainly something that we don't want to, you know, joke about too much because this is a serious issue. And and the the crazy thing that I'm reading here, and again, I again, I'm not 100% familiar with the happenings at other clubs or happenings in world soccer over the past decade, but this article mentioned that, you know, robberies and, and things along these lines have been like an actual problem with PSG yeah. players. I think they say Sergio Rico, uh, Icardi, Thiago Silva, mm-hmm. uh, and Eric Maxim Chupamoting also suffered robberies. I, again, I'm not sure how common that is, but uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's not something that you want to see. So quick question. Would you... <laughs> If someone asked you to say like the past the past tense verb of a burglary, what would you say is what would you say is the word without looking it up? What would you say? Burglarize, right? Oh, what would you say, uh, KR? Yeah, I was gonna say either. Yeah, burglarize. I don't know what else it would be. Burgled. <laughs> but yeah, so it's funny that like five uh, former PSG players have been burgled. But it's just crazy the. It, it just lets you put things into perspective. Like these guys outside of, outside of the pitch, they're actual human and they humans and they go through um, some crazy things sometimes. And I feel like this just all, all goes back to, you know, sometimes European soccer can be really passionate and I don't know why they did that, but I feel like it's definitely something, something related to uh, recent events that happened, you know, probably. But yeah, man, just I guess in that situation, you could just hope for the best. But wow, it's, people are just crazy. That's all I yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming from. And I mean, you have to think that this factors into players' minds when they're, you know, thinking about transfer destinations. Um, do you guys think that this, you know, reports of this, this being this public will, will might hurt PSG's ability to get free agents in, in the future? Or is it something where, you know, it's a big story, but it, it's kind of not a a pattern of appearances, and it's kind of just unfortunate that it happened to uh, PSG and and Di Maria. Yeah, I think it's just gonna be one of those just random occurrences. Um, I did see something that said Di Maria also got burgled. <laughs> I just can't get over that word. Also got burgled uh, in 2015 when he was on, with Man U. So. I think it's just one of those random things. Um, PSG is one of those clubs where um, they have that name, they have that attraction in France. So they're, they're always one of those top people to attract players. And I think, uh, coincidentally, Holland um, has them pretty high up on his uh, radar of teams that he may go to. That is a uh, actually a perfect transition here into our next topic. So this week's rumor mill, uh, what I've been hearing, what, what people have been talking about, the possibility of Holland going to Chelsea in a swap for uh, Timo Werner. I know he's, he's been the talk of the uh, free agency, obviously. Um, I, I believe that these are, these are still very much rumors, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the possibility there. And you know how how you think these teams are going to approach this free agency? 
I think I'm a Chelsea fan, obviously. I don't want not that I don't want Holland on our team, I don't think it, it makes sense to go after him because we just literally got Werner and Havertz last offseason. Um, but specifically speaking to Holland uh, as a player and individually um, as a footballer transferring that probably has a high likelihood of uh, getting to the Premier League, I don't know what it is about German football players. They just have a drop-off when they come to the Premier League. I don't know if it's more physical. I don't know if the German League is easier to score. I don't know what it is, but... I wish him all the best because um, just seeing how Timo Werner performs, it's like he forgot how to dribble when he, once he came to Chelsea. So I just hope he's in a situation where it can work out for him because with these with these high-profile transfers, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to go ahead and perform. Uh, we saw Hazard, he, can't, he, he missed 21 matches with Chelsea. He's already missed 50 with Real. Um, and there's been just a myriad of players who haven't had success, but I think it's just all dependent on system and system fit. And I don't think Holland necessarily should go to Chelsea because it, it just uh, makes things murky when you think about the other guys that, that are in, in, in positions to, to get minutes too. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I feel like whenever guys that have been, you know, on a hot streak or have been showing a lot of their, um, I guess, uprising on their potential, um, and they go switch over to a tougher league, especially the Premier League. Um, you know, they always have a hard time kind of settling in there, right? And um, I think Holland is one of those players that, yes, he'll. I think he's one of those players he'll who might fit in anywhere you place him. But um, and obviously, if he keeps up the same type of play that he's keeping up right now, he's going to be you know one of the greatest players that's going to be around in the century. But it'll depend on what happens. Um, it'll depend on what happens if he does go anywhere. Um, and I, I don't know about you guys, but do you think he belongs in the Premier League? Like, I don't know if he's going to even do well there. Honestly, yeah. I think, no, no, I wouldn't say, okay, I need to rephrase my answer. I think that he's capable, he's a good enough player to play in the Premier League, but I do side with you. I don't think he should go. Stay stay with Dortmund, bro. You, you and Jaden Sancho are literally the future of world football footballers. He knows your, he knows uh, your tendencies. He knows where you like to be. And he knows how to find you. Um, and if I'm Sancho as well, there's no reason to leave. I feel like there's, there's this, there's this stigma to where uh, you have to go and play for the biggest clubs, but yeah, you guys can build a dynasty. Uh, I'm just, and be just fine in Dortmund. Look at, look at what Bayern, um, Bayern's always been a powerhouse, but um, what the one reason why they're so successful, successful is, because um, they're able to hang on to their their talent and not allow other teams to, to take them away. Because I know Dortmund's kind of always been in Bayern's shadows for years because they produced the top players. But if you just look at the Lewandowski situation, that, that's all ruined. I know they won the league yeah, um, back to back years. But I think if you're Holland, don't go yet. Um, stay, keep, keep banging in goals and let people talk whatever they want to say about you. But I feel like you have to adapt to a completely different playing style in the Premier League. Um, and sometimes, like I mentioned before, it doesn't always translate. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm going to come at it a little bit from the Chelsea side. And and honestly, obviously, uh, we all can agree that Holland's a great player. And, you know, I, I, I think that any team would be happy to have them in their side but I am a little bit confused about the fit here from Chelsea. Obviously, uh, we talked about them bringing in uh, Werner and Havertz just last year, two high-profile high signings. 
And I think it just comes down to how management wants to treat that. Obviously, haven't been super impressive overall, but as of late, Chelsea have been playing at what I think is a really high level. I think it also could have to do with, you know, how they end up in terms of the Premier League, how they end up in terms of the Champions League this year. You know, if they keep keep playing at the high level that they're playing at, they keep winning and, and going deeper. Um, I could see them, I could see them kind of being like, uh, I don't know. I think we might stick with the guys we have now um, because, you know, like, like uh, Vandy was saying, these transfers take time. It takes time for them to settle in. Um, and if, you know, Timo Werner, if Havertz are playing at top levels, they're not going to want to cut back a ton on their minutes. Um, obviously Pulisic, another great player that, you know, Chelsea has in their, in their attacking lineup. Uh, so I don't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't look at their players and say, you know, they're really in need of um, an Erling Holland. And that's why I think if, if they have some success, if they continue to perform at a high level in the champions league and in, in the prem, I, I don't see them. Uh, I don't, I don't see that acquisition as, as really being at the top of their um, list, but. I mean, obviously, these high-level transfers—they're they're fun. They're fun for us to talk about. We, we, we I think we've we've mentioned that a, a couple times in the last few shows. So it's it's really awesome just to think about, you know, how a player like Holland could could really augment any team. And I think that's why uh, you said, well, there are a lot of top-level clubs that are saying we want this guy. We want to try to get this guy right now. Um, I mean, I would I would also certainly enjoy. I know PSG was mentioned. I would certainly enjoy to see him playing next to the likes of Mbappe and Neymar. That would be just, uh, again, an amazing front three. So uh, I, if I'm, if I'm Erlen Haaland, uh, I feel like, I feel like he's, uh, he's probably in a great spot right now. He, he's kind of got the, the cards in his hand. He's got the ability to leave if he wants and go to one of the best clubs. He's got the ability to stay. He's on the precipice of being a great player, and I just hope he can. Uh, I hope he can keep moving forward. Yeah, and I think one big thing to note is he's going to get paid, and he's going to get paid a lot of money. Um, we've obviously seen, you know, players, especially like Mbappe, who are very high on the market, and their transfer value is through the roof, regardless. Um, let alone their contracts. So. And I think nowadays that's going to probably be the new trend, uh, high high contracts, high transfer fees. But, yeah, like you said, that's what makes them exciting, right? Uh, they buzz up the whole market. They, they kind of make other teams go panicking for their funds. And uh, that's, that's what's the beauty about those players because they only come once in a lifetime. And when they do or when they do move uh, specifically, they, they have a lasting impact on everyone else who's not involved either. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I think we're going to transfer over here. We're going to give you a debrief of a few uh, Champions League games. We had uh, four since our last episode. Let's see, where do we want to start off? Well, um, let's, uh, let's uh, honor Chris here. We'll, we'll do the Man City game uh, first, so. Man City, uh, you know, coming into the second leg here, 
Um, up 2-0 coming in. Another 2-0 performance to finish off Gladback. Uh, I think, you know, that that's something that we, we saw coming, something that we expect from this uh, Man City team playing at a, a really high level. Uh, a phenomenal goal by De Bruyne that we'll, we'll bring up a little bit later in the episode and, and another by uh, Gundogan uh, goals in the 12th and 18th minutes. So, you know, basically right from the jump, Man City coming out on top and really shutting down Gladback and uh, interest, interested to get your thoughts, guys. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching the game or, you know, at least kind of was paying attention while it was going on, it was just Man City being Man City. Uh, passing football and making sure that you stick to the formation. And that's what Pep Goriel is very good at. Uh, he he makes sure to kind of hold on to his advantage too. Um, they were up, I believe, 2-0 going into it. Um, so they were able to kind of finish finish the uh, aggregate game off and uh, make sure that, you know, they're heading on to the next round of the Champions League. And um, it, it's nice to always see that even when teams are kind of, um, you know, for sure fire, I would say, in, or they have the highest advantage going into the next next match, they, he's still putting out players like De Bruyne um, out there. And even after then, he subbed in Sterling and Aguero. So he, he's obviously, you know, one of those coaches who will make sure the player morale is always up and make sure everybody gets a little bit of playing time, whether they win or lose. Um, but listen, that's Man City. And, and like you mentioned, just a wonderful goal by De Bruyne. I think he's one of the best midfielders in the game right now. Um, and I'm sure both of you probably agree with that. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes as well. I remember following him at Wolfsburg before he came to Man City. And he was also one of those youngins who uh, kind of shook up the entire market. And for good reason. He's probably having, I would say, one of the best uh, years of his career. I'd probably say he, I would probably say that he is the best uh, central attacking mid in the world right now. I, I feel like there's nothing he can do in terms of picking out a pass. It's just like everything you can ask for from a from a player in his position. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, Man City is just performing like a well-oiled machine. I really doubt that anyway. Like, I think, that, honestly, the race for the Premier League title, it's over. Man City is going to win. Um, you're not, they're not, they're not, they may lose a game, but they're not going to lose three games in a row. And it's just not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, Man City is a well-oiled machine right now. No problems with Gladback and they perform just just in in really high form. They have a lot of players that are uh, coming into form. Cancelo's um, a beast in terms of uh, swinging in crosses. Diaz is uh, a, a, a stone <laughs> back there in center back, and then John Stones, uh, one of their youth players, who they who they really thought was going to be good at first, is finally coming into his own. So that tandem is dangerous. And then you just throw in Gundahan, who's having a fantastic season, like came out of nowhere um, and then you add in uh, the other the, the other players that are performing well so this this team is very dangerous right now yeah I think to, to highlight what both of you mentioned the the defense really was what impressed me Gladback coming in down uh, two goals already um, you have to think that they're gonna come out with an attacking mindset gonna gonna put their um, 
you know, kind of make some some more risks and try to get some more shots. They only finished the game with six shots and uh, 32% possession, which, I mean, to me says, all right, Manchester City lined up and said, you know, we, we understand you're coming for us, but we're going to shut you down. We're going to hold the ball and we're going to dominate anyways. So it's, it's impressive to see, you know, even though uh, objectively Manchester City a lot better than a, a Gladback team, just to see them, you know, be able to have that type of performance in a game where they're coming in uh, and they know their opponent is kind of uh, pinning back their ears to uh, per se to to kind of get after them. So, I there's there's no arguing with that uh, with that thought that Manchester City is a force to reckon with with this um, in the Champions League and in the Prem. Okay, so we'll move on here. Uh, we'll go over to uh, Real. Real uh, Madrid coming in, um, getting a win here, uh, three to one to win on aggregate, four one uh, against Atalanta. Um, uh, Karim Benzema scoring in the thirty fourth. Uh, Sergio Ramos scoring on a penalty in the sixtieth. Um, Muriel getting a goal for Atalanta in eighty third, but Asensio coming back to to kind of cancel out all hopes uh, right after that in the 84th minute. And, I mean, this was a uh, – from watching some of the highlights, this was a good performance from Real Madrid. It's something that I think they're going to take confidence from um, with the fact that I feel like they really did a, a great job of, of shutting down Atalanta. Um, and that 84th-minute goal just to bounce back and, and really close it out, I think that that puts them on a good note going forward. And, you know, I think we – there were maybe uh, a couple doubts, maybe a couple doubts of, of Real uh, after some performances earlier in the Champions League. But, you know, if you look at the side they have, you look at the players that they have in their lineup, I mean, they're obviously a threat. And, and again, a good team that I believe deserves to be, you know, in this in this last eight. Yeah, I feel like Real Madrid's always been um, the classic team, always in the Champions League, uh, Champions League obviously with Ronaldo. Um, but even after, they've kind of always made sure to be there and kind of claw their way in somehow. And, um, you know, last year wasn't a very clean run. I feel like this year they've kind of composed themselves and made sure they, um, you know, go out there and do whatever they need to do to win, whether it be by one goal or two. Um, and they, they've kind of stuck to their own game plan and uh, achieved uh, a pretty good run here so far. They'll be going into the quarterfinals next um, after taking out Atlanta. And then one thing that I did take away from this game is uh, how much I enjoy uh, Vinicius Jr. playing. Uh, he was obviously the one who earned that penalty kick that Sergio Ramos took, but um, he's a very, very underrated player right now, in my opinion. Uh, I know a lot of eyes were on him uh, early on when he did get to Real. Uh, another move might have been made like right away, but um, he's still there and, and he's playing like he he's kind of enjoying himself every time he goes out on the field. So and it shows I I really enjoy his style that he brings on there. It kind of reminds me uh, of Raheem Sterling when he first came on the field. Uh, just that 
um, you know, fast-paced energy and, and just the dribbling skills are incredible. And um, it's something I feel like if a lot of people get their eyes on, he might be also one of those wonder kids who might get a big transfer fee somewhere else. But um, we'll see. We'll see where, where he goes. But, yeah, good on by Real, and let's see what they do next. See, the thing is, and it's, it's, it's in all sports, it's just that with, with young talent, we want them to be the next superstar so bad that we don't just wait and appreciate the growth process. Like, Vinicius is only 20 years old playing at Real Madrid. Like, I don't if there's if there's a situation with, with more added pressure, there's not many situations with more added pressure than that. Like, you're playing in, in probably the, the second biggest club um, in the world, one of the most expensive clubs, one of the most... Uh, known clubs um, worldwide so I think sometimes people need to just appreciate the growth process just it's just a reminder he's only 20 years old in five years he'll be 25 and that's still relatively young so yeah man I think uh, they're playing well um, in Barcelona maybe you can take a page from their books and start playing more young guys more frequently um, and uh, yeah they're on to the next round I'm glad to see Modric get back on the um, stat sheet too he doing his the assist in there to get Benzema on the, on the scoreboard. So, um, yeah, one an old guy out and a new guy in uh, Real Madrid. I don't think they they're gonna go deep into the Champions League, but they're definitely a threat to do so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Where where both of you are coming from on Vinicius Junior. You know, watching the highlights, watching him play, he's making chances, and I think that's as a fan, as someone who wants to see him improve. I think that's what you want to see. You want to see that aggression. You want to see him getting in the box with the ball on his feet and, and having chances granted, you know, he didn't finish any goals. He did draw the penalty. That was, that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good draw. You, you obviously have to have to attack hard to, to get it, but uh, he had a couple chances where he could have scored. Obviously uh, fans will be a little disappointed. He didn't put one in the back of the net, but the fact that he's got the ball on his feet, he's moving forward with it, he's attacking with confidence is, is really impressive. And especially, as you mentioned, only 20 years of age. So bright things, bright things to come. And, and Real Madrid is certainly a big stage. Uh, next, we'll move over to the Bayern game. Uh, coming in at a 4-1 lead. Bayern close it off, uh, winning two to one. It was I watched I watched obviously the the whole game. You know, FC Bayern over here. I'm I'm excited. I was a, a little nervous. I have to say going in because the I don't know the the rumor mill the tabloid uh, lineups had them playing a lot of their subs, but you know they started um, you know basically their first team. Minus Manuel Neuer. Uh, I thought they played pretty well. They got unlucky, I'd say, on a couple shots hitting the bar. Lewandowski just, you know, again, didn't seem to have he, – he didn't seem to have his day out there. But I'd say Byron played played a pretty standard game. And, you know, Lazio uh, trying to attack without um, – Immobile, I just didn't think there was enough fire behind their attacks. I didn't, I didn't think that uh, they really brought everything they had until again, 
gets down to the end of the game and they start getting desperate. But what do you guys think? I mean, they, they, uh, Lazio, that three goal deficit to come back from what's, what we all knew, it was going to be difficult. Um, they did what they could to fight. Um, and, and Bayern just showed, just showed why they're, they're superior. Um, it, I, I didn't really think they had a chance going into this game. I feel like Lazio's defense is, is, has been too weak. Um, and, and it, I, even if, uh, they scored, two goals, I don't think they were going to win by three. So that was just my thought process coming into it. Yeah, I feel like this was just one of the games where uh, Bayern were just playing like Bayern, like you mentioned, Jacob, and uh, they were able to kind of keep um, Lazio at bay. And I feel like, yeah, I never did see that um, attacking energy or confidence from Lazio. And Bayern was just kind of a little more comfortable uh, with the way they were playing. And obviously the first goal, which was a penalty, might have been a little controversial, but hey, it's part of the game. And uh, Byron was able to kind of build off of that. But Lazio did get one back. There's a pretty um, good goal uh, free kick that was taken um, that, that kind of got them back in it. But I think overall, Byron was just way too comfortable with the way they played. And I think they're probably going to be the biggest threat to take it all the way in the Champions League. Uh, they've been playing very, very great soccer uh, so far this year. All right. We'll take it over. Uh, and, and I know you're excited, Vandy. Uh, we'll take it over to Chelsea here. Coming in uh, up 1-0, finishing off strong with a 2-0 victory against Atletico Madrid. Um, uh, Ziyech scoring in the 34th minute. Uh, Savage, I'm sorry, Savage with a red card in the 81st minute, uh, for Atletico and, uh, Palmieri scoring Palmieri. I don't know. You can correct me. Emerson, Emerson Palmieri. Yeah. So Palmieri, uh, there we go. Scoring yeah. in the 94th minute. So definitely a strong performance for Chelsea Vandy. What do you think? Um, I don't think, I, I think before the first leg, I don't think a lot of people were giving were giving us a chance to win this. Um, Chelsea, ever since Tuchel took over, uh, we've been a very good defensive side, but we were we're we're not prolific in scoring, um, and that's fine. It'll come with time. Um, the the thing that I was most proud of was the fact that uh, Werner assisted Diaz for his first goal for our, for our club. Um, that was big. I feel like he, he Werner is a good player. He just needs to get confident and. Um, I, I was, I'm always a proponent of, of the stat that says like, it's eight, it's 80% mental and 20% skill. Like sometimes you just get in your own head too much and finding your teammate is good for both of them. Ziyech is a player that was highly talented coming in too. He saw his highlight tapes all over the place. Um, at Ajax. so I was happy for him to, to score, um, about the red card. Now we'll say Rudiger is not the <laughs> easiest player to like in the world, um, I think it was what like 30 seconds after the red card, he's smiling in uh, Atletico players' faces um, and just running off. He apparently got hit in the chest, and that's what led to the red. But then he walked off as if he was just fine. But um, he's one of those players. He he literally will do anything to win. I'm, I'm not gonna say too much on that because I don't want to get Atletico fans too riled up. But Chelsea had a 63 possession, 63 percent possession in this match. Um, 
even without that 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 red Atletico, they didn't they weren't the aggressors even though they needed to score. Um, Suarez is a dirty player as well, but he didn't really do anything to change the dynamic of the game. And Chelsea deserved this this win, uh, regardless of the red or not. Um, they were just the better side in both of this of the legs, and they deserved to advance. Yeah. So Atletico were in uh, Bayern's group. So I've seen them play to two full games and, you know, they're sitting uh, atop La Liga right now. And I feel like, I feel like Atletico has to be a little bit disappointed uh, with the performance over these past two games. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course it's not a given that they're going to come out and win. Chelsea's an amazing team has some amazing players, but to not put up a goal to not score, I, I feel like has to be kind of embarrassing and, you know, they they had a big lead uh, in La Liga, but teams like Barca, teams like Real clawing back to try to uh, to try to take that. Uh, I feel like it, it may be sort of slipping away for Atletico. And I, I don't know, I I'm just I'm confused with some of the decisions, the, the decision to take Suarez uh, off. I believe he was subbed out. Um around uh, uh the 60th minute um so I, i'm a little bit confused with that uh, i just feel like if i'm if i'm atletico madrid i'm thinking you know we really should have played better we really should have uh, at least gotten on the scoreboard here uh Kior, your thoughts yeah i feel like overall it's just a sloppy effort um from atletico and uh that's been i would say a theme of the team for a while uh, we obviously saw them, you know, be a little more successful a couple of, couple of years ago in the Champions League. But I feel like for, I would say, the last year and a half, they just haven't been um, who we've known them to be. And they kind of haven't figured out their groove so far. Um, and I mean, that could be, you know, due to a lot of other things. But yeah, I don't think like they showed up in this game um, with the mentality to kind of win. But hopefully, you know, they can regroup and, and go back and reevaluate before their next match coming up. All right. We're going to hop on over to some uh, Europa games here. We'll start with uh, one that happened today, Manchester United, uh, with a 1-0 uh, win over uh, AC Milan uh, to win 2-1. Uh, on aggregate in the uh, round of 16. Um, Pogba scoring in the 48th minute. Of course, they've had some some tension with him, so I'm sure they're, they're happy to see him get a goal on the board here. I know at the beginning of the season, there was a lot of questions being asked, being asked of Manchester United. There were a lot of people who said, you know, they've got – good players but they're just not getting it done they're not getting enough goals they're not converting their chances you know Pogba had a whole thing where he was like yeah I prefer to play with my national team it's like a break away from all this mess a lot of drama a lot of stuff but you know when you look at this here Manchester United uh, going on to the next stage in the Europa League sitting at second in the Prem you have to say, you know, that they did a good job bouncing back. And, and I, th- I think they've answered the critics uh, fairly well, uh, at least the critics at the beginning of the season. And, and my question uh, for my co-hosts here is, you know, did you think Man U would be able to bounce back or 
were you expecting them to uh, maybe slide a little bit further this season? I mean, I, I hate Manu. I hate Manu. I hate them. But they're always a team that has potential just simply because of the fact that they have a plethora of players. They have a richness of players. They have a great youth team. They have their... Uh, they have a good side. It's just they just never seem to be able to put it together. I don't know whether that's the coaching or, or what, or, or whether players have to step up. But they've been playing well. Lingard is elsewhere. Um, you got um, Shaw playing some good ball, and I think probably the bargain of the year in terms of world soccer has to be Bruno Fernandez. He was just way too cheap when they bought him, and he's performing great. I don't know. I know Pogba didn't like it at first uh, when he took over his his role with the team, but. Bruno's made all the difference, I think, for them. Um, and I'm kind of happy for Pogba, too, because I feel like he was in a bad, bad headspace. I feel like I thought that he was going to be transferred um, sometime soon. And now it seems like uh, he's, he's, in, he's, in, he's in good with, with the manager. And uh, he, he scored in their Europa League match um, with, a, with a cheeky finish. So I like to see him on the scoreboard. Um, he's too good to not be regularly in the side and playing 90 minutes a game. He's just too good. Um, they just excuse me, have to find a way to work him into the system. But, man, like I said, Menu, um, every year in and year out, they're a threat uh, to be good because they can buy players and because they have players that are capable. It's just, I don't know, uh, for whatever reason, they just always fold. But this year, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not folding. They're, they're, they're doing what, what they, they're, they're playing above um, expectations for sure. But it doesn't shock me that they're capable to get to this level. I mean, I can speak from two perspectives. It could be the biased one or the realistic one. Uh, the biased me would say this was, you know, always expected of Man U. Um, it's been their expectations for, I would say, almost every year uh, for the last 10 to 15 years. But obviously, like you guys mentioned, there's been a lot of issues. And I think the way that this team has kind of, um, you know, seen the bright side of things, even when things are kind of going wrong, um, have have pointed them or have made it capable for them to kind of be this successful. And, and you know, there's a couple of things to point at that. I think the coach, Oleg Anasoshar, has made a, a a different culture of Man U than what, has, that, what the world has seen for the last couple of years. You know, when a big name would come in and try to swing things around and it wouldn't necessarily go the right way or, you know, bring in young players. But I think what, Oligan Sochar has done so far is just he stuck to the textbook and kind of brought Manchester United to their roots and say like, hey, listen, we're this team that plays around each other rather than playing, you know, by individually, collectively together. It's I don't know. I just see them as a better team this year and for I would say the last year and a half than I have for the last six to seven years. And um, I'm excited to see where they go because I'm sure that type of culture is going to bring in a lot more players to come play for them as well. So, All right. Uh, thanks. Thanks for your thoughts there, guys. With that, we're going to swing over to Tottenham. Um, came into the game against, uh, oh boy, this is tough. This is why this is a tough job. I have to pronounce all these, these tough names. So we're going to go for it. I think this is Dynamo Zagreb. Coming into the game in uh, the Europa League, up uh, 2-0, they drop uh, three goals uh, to lose 3-0 in this game, all of them coming from 
Miss Love Orsic, I think. Um, and and I have to say this is this is quite the surprising loss from the Tottenham side. Obviously, when you're coming into a game up to nil, you're thinking we just gotta we gotta hang in there. We gotta you know maybe try to get another one on the scoreboard early just to to put down any hopes. But uh, you have to credit uh, Dynamo for for coming in for sticking with it, taking it to extra time and and getting it done. Uh, interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Croatian footballers need need some love, man. That that hat trick was amazing. Orsic, um, I know he's in, I guess, in the later prime of his career. But man, what a game that was! I feel like Tottenham. They they just just it seems like they're cursed, man. They just can't win champions, can't win trophies. I don't know what it is. I mean, you blew you blow a two zero lead, and in the Premier League, you're not really doing anything intimidating you're still really you're still uh back in that range fighting for Europa spot again and I don't know um I feel like one thing one debate I saw um on Twitter was like who's more to blame Mourinho or the players and apparently they're saying that the players aren't listening to Mourinho's orders anymore so that just it's a very dysfunctional system over there and it's sad because I was really happy to see Gareth Bale come back into form man he was looking so good um scoring attacking uh swinging in crosses and it just sucks that they they're, they're not able to uh play for um the Europa League anymore so man I think Tottenham they just have to they just have to figure out what's wrong internally they got to come together and, and man up and say hey man we got it we got it we got to turn the ship uh, you can't just I guess maybe Mourinho's Mourinho's luck is running out, but you can't just just quit on yourselves. And, and it seemed like that would that's what they did to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, looking at the likes of Harry Kane, um, Son, uh, Son Hung Min, like Gary, Gareth Bale joining those two uh, to to have a, a really, I think, a dynamic uh, front three. I, I really would have higher expectations for them when it comes to goal scoring and just playing at a high level, having some of those uh, big names, but again, coaching seems to be a disconnect and, and that can cause some serious issues. Kiara, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've kind of seen Mourinho do this time to time. I'm sure Vandy can probably speak from his experience at Chelsea. I can probably speak from his experience at Man U. Uh, and I feel like, Tottenham fans are feeling the wrath of Mourinho now. Uh, and obviously the players um, clearly aren't unhappy or, you know, are unhappy playing for him right now, or at least what's been going on with Tottenham so far. And um, yeah, I mean, it looked good in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. Like it looked, they got off to a pretty good start, um, you know, late last year when he did come in and they were able to kind of, get in the groove of things but then injuries hit and I feel like that kind of just threw off everything that was going on and um now it's just looking like they're still trying to kind of figure out what's going on they look pretty good going into the into this game and um one team was more prepared than the other I would I think that's probably the best way to put it uh, and obviously there were lineup changes and stuff but it's going to be interesting because now with a big match, I believe they're playing um, Sevilla coming up. If they lose that, uh, they're, I think Marina is going to be on the hot seat again. 
Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if if Tottenham make starts making changes if things continue to be like this. All right. So with that, we will transfer over to our clip of the week. We get it pulled up and situated for our hosts here. Okay. This one is coming from the Manchester City game. I'm sure Chris is is devastated that he's not here to talk with us about it. But let's go here. On it there, there was. There was a deflection, but certainly Edison. But you're right, Bernardo Silva kind of started there. De Bruyne is in there now. It's just so fluid. Here's Mares. Rotary. Mares. De Bruyne. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. Wow. That was hit hard. Look at the smile on Pep Guardiola's face. An absolute firecracker from a very happy Kevin De Bruyne. And Manchester City have a three-goal lead in the tie. Yeah, Riyad Mahrez does well just to keep that alive. Rolls it onto De Bruyne. Do you know what? On his left side there, you'd have thought it would have taken something very special to beat Jan Sommer. That's exactly what happens. He absolutely fizzes that off the underside of the bar into the back of the net. Go. It's so difficult. All right. For those of you at home, we just saw a beautiful, beautiful left-footed strike from Kevin De Bruyne uh, against uh, Gladbach in, the, in about the 12th minute. Just a absolutely beautiful strike with his left foot, sending it off the top of the bar and in, and, and that has to feel good. As a player, just a hit a shot with that type of skill with your with your weak foot that that's a really good feeling i'm sure for him yeah i think the best part about uh that whole play and you know not even just a shot obviously that's world class but it's the build up he uses his patience to kind of just wait around uh, the box you know not even go into the middle of the box to to get near the goalie throw him off and kind of get more attacking pressure on there but it's just him patiently waiting for his opportunity and then once he gets it he makes it an entirely great play to uh, get his team an advantage and obviously seeing something like that I'm sure you 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 guys heard the announcer say at the end uh, Pep Guardiola was smiling like that should make your coach smile because you're doing exactly what he's kind of prepped you to do and you're doing it to the T. Yeah, it's mostly because I feel like the 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 offensive engine that is Man City runs through the Bruyne. So whenever he scores, it's like, man, everything's clicked because he's looking to assist other guys. And yeah, it was great to see him get on the boards. Yeah, one thing I was really impressed with there was De Bruyne's footwork. I mean, I I've seen a lot of a lot of players not quite as good as him try to take a touch in that situation end up having a shot get blocked to to just let it roll and, and just find it beautifully with his left foot. I have to say I'm, I'm very impressed and I uh, wanted to kind of close here with a question. I, I'm not sure have, have any of you guys like played soccer at a club or, or 
school level growing up or anything along those lines? Yeah, I played in high school. I used to play uh, before I came to America, which was probably back in like 2005 or six. But I used to play occasionally, you know, with friends around the park or something like that every now and then. Nice, nice. I I played uh, up through eighth grade. I had to stop uh, freshman year to to play uh, American football, that is. Um, But I mean, just when you hit that, when you get that strike, when you when you hit that with your left so so nicely, and you see that go in, that's that's such a good feeling. And I I know you guys have have various various amounts of experience. I mean, I don't definitely don't have a lot myself, but you know, getting that strike, getting a, a beautifully placed shot that that's got to feel good. All right, yeah, that's what you prepped for, so. Yeah, that's that's what they pay him the big bucks for. Put it put it up there beautifully. It was second only to I was I was close to picking Messi's goal. Messi had a really nice uh curled one into the top left corner, but yeah, to uh to come full circle here if you guys have any clips, guys have anything that you see over the weekend uh to our fans, please send us a DM. Hit us up Polar FC Pod on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to talk to you, love to get some ideas and, and talk about the stories that you care about. So feel free to reach out and connect with us. Uh, I think that's going to be all for us for tonight. Uh, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, this has been KR, Vandy, and Jacob. And uh, have, a nice, uh, have a nice night, everybody. Peace.